Black Hollywood Live fans. Today we're talking about the new Michael Brown video, the attempt to close down Rikers, a battle over pink slime, that one may cost somebody billions, that and much more. Stay with us on Justice is Served. You are tuned in to Black Hollywood Live. Justice is Served. Hello and welcome to this fabulous edition of Justice is Served. We shall call it the ladies edition, I guess, because it's just the ladies in the house today. Welcome to Justice is Served, where we break down the latest in legal news every week with a panel of attorneys. This week, it's just my ladies. Uh, It's me, Chelsea Galicia, Dominique Price, and Yemi Abayami. And we're going to get started with that new Michael Brown video. Um, I kind of wish I was at South by Southwest to see this documentary that came out that sh- shows what happened to Michael Brown. He is the the kid. I, it's hard to... He looked like a big, strong... But a kid, basically, mm-hmm. who was shot by Darren Wilson uh, in Ferguson, and which touched off the whole Ferguson... I, wanted, I almost called them riots, but I don't want to... Demonstrations. Thank you. Thank you, there thank you. you. <laughs> um, and so now, I can't believe two and a half years later, I can't believe how much time has gone by, yeah. Some new, this documentary came out, and um, the prosecutor who single-handedly tried the thing in front of the grand jury and then failed to get an indictment, because he was both the defense and the prosecution, sort of, kind of, um, so no surprise that there was no indictment. But anyway, he released an unedited version of this video. What did you understand about this whole hoopla about what this video was supposed to mean and what it was supposed to show and what the argument is about whether it actually shows that Michael Brown was actually a decent human being versus not because that was demonstrated in... I don't think it has uh, anything to do with him being a decent human being or not. I think it goes to the fact of he was pursued under... For an issue that wasn't an issue, well, uh, so, allegedly, allegedly. Okay, so we all heard uh, be, the that he had robbed a convenience store, and that's why the police were called, and that's why Darren Wilson um, arrived at the scene, and then that led to the confrontation. Michael Brown apparently backed off and then charged, and I'm using like an air quote, at Officer Wilson, who then shot him. Um, and they, but they were saying that this whole thing started because. Michael Brown robbed the convenience store. And now the video is saying maybe not. Maybe there was some bartering that was actually going on. I don't really think the video mattered to me personally because it it doesn't go to Wilson's... Regardless of whether he really robbed the store or didn't really rob the store, that doesn't go to Wilson's frame of mind when he stopped them. At the time that... or from, From what I understand, at the time that Wilson stopped Michael Brown and his friend... It was for jaywalking. He didn't know anything about any robbery. Or maybe he had heard right. a robbery called in but didn't right. put to know that this was the individual. Um, perhaps at some point um, it, he you know he realized, oh, this person does match the description of the robbery well, that was, was called in. after he had already... So when he stopped them, stopped them, had a conversation, <clears throat> a little bit of banter, they were walking away. It was after that altercation that he then heard it on his radio and then told him to come back over here. So at this point, there is no legal justice, really, for the family because they didn't get an indictment. The officer is still walking around free, although he resigned. Um, And there is no, you know, justice is served on a legal basis. But at the very least, the family wants to provide justice to their lost loved one in the form of... um, 
clearing his name. Yeah, almost like redeeming his image. Right. And so for us lawyers, we're like, that doesn't really make that big of a difference to the actual underlying what some of us see as a crime. Uh, well, I think, it's, I, think it's a, I personally think it's a crime for whoever decided to withhold the entirety of the video because I don't know if you guys followed this case when it happened. Oh, yeah. The portion of the video where he walks inside was shown. It was shown everywhere. So my question is, if there was a full video out there, why wasn't that made made available at the time of the case? Well, the prosecutor says that the, the whole thing is unnecessary. And so, or he, that it was irre- I, it was irrelevant. He said that, that it was irrelevant, but I, I, was perso- irrelevant I personally feel like that is subjective. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I still I didn't feel that at the end. Of, at the end of the day, I don't even know if it's appropriate to say this, but um, but at the end of the day, he still walked into that store and he took goods that he did not pay and, for. But I think it goes back to the he, argument: if I can shoot up a movie theater and be detained, why can I? How can I like ro- allegedly rob a convenience store and die? So you're referring to the Aurora mm-hmm. shooting? Yeah. Okay. Why don't we show that? through the St. Louis County investigation papers, I stumbled along something that was absolutely stunning. At approximately 1.13 a.m. August 9th, a male arrived as a backseat passenger in a dark-colored passenger vehicle. Brown enters and exits the front doors. Brown so enters and exits the front doors. Stranger Fruit. at the market at 1.13 a.m. the night before he died. Camera 7. The male proceeds to the beverage cooler, selected unknown items, and proceeded to the register. The male remains at the counter and eventually leaves the area of the registers with no merchandise. I couldn't believe what I had read. Michael was in the store the night before he died. And St. Louis County saw the videotape. And they didn't tell us. Well, guess what, St. Louis County? I've got the videotape. I was surprised to hear. Yeah. So why don't we? So, so what? What they're trying to show with this is that there was act. There was no crime committed. That even he took something, but he was taking something back that he had brought the night before. He had attempted to barter it, and uh, people in the community say. I feel like that. Feel a little like Donald Trump. People say (laughs) that this convenience store sort of had a reputation for bartering, and you could even go and buy marijuana there. So that what could have happened is that Michael Brown took in something to barter, and then the next day when he went back to see if they were cool with it, they decided against it. So he took back what he had brought the night before, which is the significance of the clip that we just showed from the documentary. So I feel like it, on some senses, it feels irrelevant. But on the other hand, like this is, we're left for, with to hope for scraps of justice in this case. And I guess clearing his name is about the best that we may be able to do at this point, besides bring further attention to this kind of injustice to hopefully prevent it from happening. Yummy's looking at I me was, like, I, don't hold your breath. I, I was, well, I, I just wasn't sold by the video. Uh, yes, something happened the night before. Yes, there was a disagreement amongst the owners and uh, Michael Brown, but to me it didn't really offer too much clarity. Um, and as I said, I don't think it really bears any um, relation to... Uh, what happened between Michael Brown and uh, Darren Wilson on the street? That's fair. Time. But something I did see uh, today in another 
one of these stories that we covered years ago about an unarmed shooting. Do you guys remember <clears throat> the boy Tamir Rice? He was six years old and was playing with a toy gun 12. in the park. Right. He was 12. Thank you for correcting me. And officers showed up because they had gotten a call that there was somebody playing with a gun, even though the person who had called into police had reported, it looks like it's a kid and it looks like it's a toy gun, but the dispatcher didn't convey that to the officers, that it was a kid and it was likely a toy gun. So when the police arrived on scene, they saw a, kind of like a tall kid, they thought it was an adult, or that's what they claim. Mm. I, I, I see that. I see the reactions here. Okay, that's what they say. <laughs> and they and they really just shoot him like less than two seconds upon arriving on scene. And now that story was how many years ago now? And just today, a story is out that the dispatcher has been suspended for eight days without pay. The dispatcher and the for, for not mentioning that it was a, a kid, kid and, and a toy it was gun. A toy gun. To let the officers know before they proceed. How, how would the dispatcher know it was a toy gun? Because, because the, that's what the, the whoever provided the scoop. The caller. That's what they said. <laughs> they they advised them that hey, this might be a child and it might be a toy gun, but I'm not sure. Oh wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So, but does that feel like justice? You is said served? eight days. The person was suspended for eight days. No, 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 no. But not only the fact that it was eight days, but that this happened two years ago, and the person was just suspended for eight days, like yesterday. So I'm angry on so many levels that I just I don't have anything positive to provide. And Mama <laughs> always said, if you have nothing good to say, to zip your lips. Except if you're a host on Justice. So I'm, just, I'm trying to just keep it together because I just I don't I don't have anything constructive. Well, okay. So needless I, to say, you don't feel like this is justice at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. Take it, girl. Take it. <laughs> I don't know. My, my my issue isn't with the with the dispatcher. I mean, in whatever course of training, of she should have given whatever details the officers needed to handle the situation appropriately, and she didn't. At the same time, the officers were there. They could see the boy. They playing in. I mean, was it? It was snowing, right? Like he was playing in the snow. Like use your use your best judgment and don't speed up on anyone and shoot them before before anything. I think it gets back like no to no warning, no nothing. Right. I think it gets back to the the underlining issue of how do we educate or allow there to be somewhat of understanding for law enforcement officers to not be afraid of men of color. Because if you read a lot of these reports, it's, I was afraid, and I yeah. wasn't sure what they were going to do. Well, but that's what they say, because that's the standard the Supreme <clears throat> Court has laid out. If an officer claims he feared for his life or the life of somebody else, Reasonably. then that's what... But it, it gets to this point of, I think they're guilty automatically. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more apprehensive. Like, let's be honest. I, it happened to me the other day. When you see... What happened? When you see a young man of color who is dressed or acting in a certain manner, you automatically think one way or another about what they're doing. This is way too ambiguous. What, you want to give me a clear example? Well, let, let's just say if, if you're walking in a neighborhood and a big black man is starting to come closer to you, 
is there going to be a preconceived notion in your brain that I may or may not need to be afraid or this may this person may or may not be a threat? Truthfully, I'm a really small person, so big men of any color or I'm a little, uh, you know, depending if I'm by myself or not. So my issue is that if you're an officer, you don't have that room to have that type of bias in what you do for a living. And you see that across the country, that regardless of what your race is as a cop, you have that preconceived notion in your brain when you apprehend or when you're called to the scene in a lot of these situations. But because I'm a frail white boy, for a lack of better terms, you're going to handle me different? Yeah, I can see that it is really unfair, but I'm dying to hear this personal story that happened to you a couple of days ago. Oh, laptops were stolen from our office, and there was a young man that no one had ever seen come into the building and leave, and I automatically assumed that it had to have been one of the young boys, but my thought was not necessarily because they were black, but because I'd never seen them in the office before. And so when I got ready to transcribe this information to law enforcement that came to take a statement, he said, oh, because they were black. And I said, no, it was because I'd never <laughs> seen them before. The officer said that too. Right. You. And so it, it just it reinforms what I just said. That you, it's hard to not, like, unless you've grown up in these neighborhoods or you you know individuals, that, are, in, yeah. right, 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 you feel like mm-hmm. you can have a little bit more empathy or you just know, like, not all people are like that. They're human, too. They're human, you yeah. know? We, how do you humanize these people to officers? I and that's what, where I had a great answer to that. Well, that's where a lot of this, you know, police training needs to come in. I mean, we all know that we all have our own implicit biases, but can you uh, acknowledge that and then tr- kind of train yourself to at least be aware of that when you take your actions as a police officer? And a lot of that is going to have to involve training at the department level. Right. But the that. issue is that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge that they do feel like that. Because they, they feel because you, I, me personally, I feel like you can have an underlying an underlying bias towards a people without technically being racist. Because if all you've ever been reinforced with is these negative imaging of this group of people, you're going to think that okay, there's some truth to it. Like everybody can't be making this up, and you're going to go into your job with that notion, even though you've never had that experience yourself. But I need people to be honest. Like, I need people to just cut the shit. Like, just say that you, like, I'm a little bit afraid. So should we just assume that officers have bias and train them to If you, if if after report, after report, after report that I'm reading from these officers, I keep seeing the same thing, yes, I think we need to admit as a country. But you're seeing I'm afraid because that's the language that they have to use. I don't. You think that they are not. What was the officer who shot the guy on the bridge? He literally had on like a white t-shirt, hands in the air, like in the in, in the oh. video, the officer is shaking. Like you visibly can tell that this officer was legitimately afraid, even though the, this man had his hands up and was trying and to the surrender. Par- and the partner didn't fire. And the, but- the partner didn't fire because he could tell we like he's cooperating, but the man was scared, visibly scared. Hmm. Okay, so what? That you- was a woman. I. It was a woman who yes, shot yes, the. Yes, yes, yes. I can't remember his name, unfortunately. But too many of these stories. Okay, I hear what you're saying. I, I, so, elimination of bias training regularly. Yes. Okay. I mean, in some of these cases, we found that the, the you know the the police videos uh, training videos were like 40 years old. I mean, right. they really do need to update 
update these things and 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 have an emphasis on um, whatever de-escalation tactics. I feel and, like there could be a contest of like create a police elimination of bias training, and some really right. creative kids could come up with something magical. I agree, a thousand percent. Like, know, do you guys think that you can actually eliminate bias? I don't well, know that you can to eliminate me, you become it. conscious think, of it. Yes, and the, I think that's the important thing. I, I mean, we're not have, only becoming conscious of it, but I feel like for me, the underlining biases that I had in my own life weren't cured until I actually met individuals who allowed me to switch my thinking. Yeah. And the reason why I use the term elimination of bias is because that is part of our uh, continuing education as attorneys mm-hmm. that we have to do a c- couple hours of elimination of bias and you're, you're right it's a little bit difficult to totally eliminate but what we can at least do is become aware of them so that we're not operating from them and then ideally put ourselves in situations where we are forced to confront the biases and see that they're not sort of true right and then this goes back to we could really use some government oversight that we probably won't get over the next four years well i mean i guess we can jump down to that um part of the story where this was something from last week that we ran out of time and so um we're bringing it to you this week about what jeff sessions the new attorney general said with respect to these agreements that the federal government goes into (coughs) with the uh, cities and states that they find are having issues in their departments, like what we saw in Ferguson, like what we saw in Baltimore, when the DOJ would go in and investigate and find these really deplorable... God, I probably should eliminate that word from my vocabulary because that brings up an idea of something else. But truly, like, terrible tactics that were being used by police departments to, you know, fund the city through parking tickets and other kinds of silly tickets and... Um, you know, a story we're going to go into later about how in Baltimore there were officers who were literally going around robbing people in uniform. And that wasn't discovered until there was a, a deep investigation because of the, uh, incident. the incident, the Michael Brown incident in Ferguson. Like, nobody would have, none of us would have figured that out until this investigation. But Jeff Sessions says, quote, we're going to pull back. From those kinds of, of investigations, yeah, um, which it, to me is like a huge slap in the face. Absolutely, and he says that it's because uh, we need to. This is a quote: mm-hmm. "So far as we can, to help police departments get better, not diminish their effectiveness." So apparently, to clean up the corruption inside of departments is not helping their effectiveness; it's diminishing their ability to be a better police department. I wanted to believe that he just worded this all wrong and what he was trying to say was that I they know that there's an issue. Let's give them some time to remedy the issue. That's what in my <laughs> mind I was hoping he was trying to say. And in fact, I did nothing like that. Right? It was like, are you serious? So basically, who all here we was apprehensive of Jeff Sessions, and people are like, oh, give him a chance. We Probably all not were racist. Like, yeah, there's okay. going to be a very real So I, it's one of those situations where I hate to say, I told, I told you, you so, so. But it's but also kinda. like you're already under investigation for an entirely different issue. So wouldn't you tread a little bit more lightly? On the Russia issue? Yeah, is that but I'm saying? just like, in general, you're under a huge microscope right now. Would you not want to choose your words a little bit more wisely? Like, who wrote this speech? Who was your speechwriter? I want to know. Because he could have said that so much better. It basically was like a big F you. 
Yeah, he well, he wants I, I, to I, I, he he wants to be clear that this decision is not wrong. It's funny. It's this decision is not wrong. Oh, okay, that's quite defensive there. Or insensitive to but civil rights. The fact that you had to say that. Well, he, exactly. He, he, he says we're doing this because there has been an increase, even though crime has been dropping over the past few uh, decades. There has been a recent increase in crime. I mean, I'm sure he feels he can say anything because <laughs> I can blame it on the increase in crime, whether right. it is um, maybe just a blip on you know the screen over the course of the right. years or what, but he has a crutch that he can fall on and he is so he's saying, on it very he's heavily. He's saying this, this is the beginning of a trend. Uh, what is the trend exactly? <laughs> of increasing crime. And I wonder how he's able That's to... That's what my that, biggest out of everything he said, I said, a trend of what? Like, what What exactly are we doing here? I mean, he's determining that crime is on the rise, which is why we need to hang on to private prisons. He, he's, it's a whole package of things. He's package. like, we need to let the police departments operate more want. efficiently, do what they, do want. What they want. We need to open up more prisons um, and forget these uh, oh, violations of civil civil rights. I'm... I'm I'm not impressed with these investigations that have taken place. It's a whole... And it's not yeah. even just the investigations, but when the cities enter into these agreements with the DOJ to provide training, <clears throat> to correct this, that, and the other, you know, these kinds of agreements are court-overseen. Dominique just cannot even take the situation. You know, these were sort of the only kind of remedy that we had as a country to address what was going on in city after city and now Jeff Sessions is like nah, we don't really need that it's not really helpful to the police department he used the terms unimpressed I'm unimpressed and didn't see the value of these agreements I don't the see the value in him and the police department oh, so if it's anything we know he's consistent so I think next week consistent. we should yes, discuss racist back in the 80s <laughs> racist today to this consistency day. I think next week we should educate our people on how to impeach a vice president. I think they should really uh, understand. The, impeach the attorney general, you mean? Yes, and the vice president. And, and like, I want them all out. <laughs> like, I think we should really discuss the process of impeachment. That would be really, if we could I get they, the, they the AG know. out and then get Pence out. Yes, and in then that go order. for Trump. In that order. And, you see where my head was at? Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, you got to watch your order. Trump is not my issue right now. Yeah, because if issue, everybody's saying we right should now. impeach Trump, and nope. like, but then we're left with Pence, and this yeah. is... Yeah, no, no, no. AG first, then vice president. Oh, my God. And then I think Trump will quit, personally. Wow. Okay, well, I think maybe you should share this theory oh, yeah. over on, on. Uh, the Trump Report. <laughs> After Buzz TV, Tuesday night, 7 p.m., you'll find me and a couple other folks there <laughs> talking politics. Okay. <laughs> I like it a lot. All right, let's move on to, I mean, I guess it's a politically related story also. The dreamer, Daniela Vargas. Poor girl, but maybe she's going to be okay after all. What happened here? We, we don't Well, Well, first of all, she was a, a, a dreamer whose family, whose father and brother got picked up by ICE, and she gives a press conference about right. ICE. So, so her, to understand the dreamer, because... <laughs> Everybody's a dreamer. Um, <laughs> Except me. I can't remember my dreams. But anyways, that's a whole other story. Okay, now you got me thinking. Um, so but this is, a, this is the, the deportation it, it, issue. So, right, the DREAM Act allows immigrants who, have, who meet certain qualifications. Um, they came they, here as kids. They're mm-hmm. able, right, so the, it, right, they, they've come as uh, kids and they were you know, below a certain age at 
uh, the time that they came. Um, They've been here for a certain period right. of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're still technically pretty young. I think it's under under 20, 30. Yeah, I, I think. think it was like under 28 or something that okay. you're cut off. Um, and, so, and so they're able to stay in the U.S. without fear of um, deportation. deportation. And this lady, uh, Daniela Var- Vargas, um, also had protection under DACA, um, again, which they... <clears throat> the immigrants, they come, uh, they are investigated, they have full and complete background checks, and it says, okay, this person is low... They've been vetted. Low, low risk, right. They've been vetted by the government. Um, they're in school, and you can see that they're, you know, they're moving forward as mm-hmm. a law-abiding residents of the U.S. And again, that uh, gives you a certain level of sa- safety, mm-hmm. I guess, from from deportation that, yes. that, that would hang over your head as an immigrant. So Zan- Daniela Vargas, she was at home. Um, her parent, her brother and father, I think, had left to go to, or they were leaving the house to go to work where the ICE agents came and took them, um, arrested or detained them and arrested them. And then they came into the house um, to get Daniela as well, who told them that I have, I have these DACA papers, you can't, you can't take me. Uh, and allegedly the agents still said, we don't care, we're coming back for you. Um, and shortly after her family was taken or after the raid on her house, she, she spoke out to the press. There was a press conference about it. And she spoke about it. And literally within days, uh, Ice came, pulled her out of her friend's car and said, you know why we're here. You remember us. We're taking you. Um, and so there was a, a question as to whether she was, <clears throat> she was detained in the first instance basically as retaliation for mm-hmm. um, the press conference. using her First Amendment rights. Right. So but it's news. also really interesting is that this program that was initiated has been one that Trump has identified that would not disappear under his new immigration policy. And so it was interesting of the timing um, because Daniela wasn't the first or the only one within this program that had been detained recently in the last few months. And so it frustrated me to read this story because, one, she's working really, really... All of these young adults actually give back to the United We Dream program. Um, And for Trump to come out and say, like, hey, I'm making sure that we don't touch this program, and then to hear the stories of these young adults actually being detained, it's like, okay, we hear you, but I don't see it in the action. I don't see that these young adults are actually being protected, that you understand that these aren't a threat, these don't fall under your your visa issues that you feel like we have um, as a country. And so it's like, have they been given a different directive than what he's actually saying to the press? I think so. I mean, this is, I mean, not to get too political, but I can't help myself. This is very much like saying, when it comes to health care, we're going to repeal and replace Obamacare, and everybody's going to have coverage, right? And then look at what's been offered forth. Is not everybody's going to have coverage. 24 million people will lose coverage in a few years' time. So it is hopefully people are starting to see a pattern of what he says publicly is not the same as what he endorses right. privately right. or when it comes to the actual Right, and so bill. my question, and I think I emailed you guys this earlier, is like, where's the missing link? Is Trump lying behind closed doors or is his administration on a different narrative than he's on? Uh, I, I wish I knew the answer I, I, Yeah, that. I Right, mean, I, like I, we I, may never know the answer, but I'm just kind of <laughs> like, I, I don't know who's crazy. I just get the sense that he, what, whatever comes to his mind at the time is how he was feeling at the time and whether he feels differently later, he feels differently later. I don't he know that, that, do that. I don't know that he has, <laughs> well, I don't know that he has, he can. you know, Specific or con- convictions in his posi- position. I don't know that he's a convicted. 
and like I a use, principled person. Right. Yeah, but the people around him definitely <laughs> have their have ideas. a little bit more. But at least the good news in this story is that she was released. But what I, what I was just so the the link that I sent you guys earlier, there are nine other young adults that are still being detained that don't have the the press backing that Daniela did. Right, and she was probably re- released. We think because of the media attention yes. on her. Yes. So what happens to these other nine? nine well, I know adults? that organizations like the ACLU mm-hmm. are are working Up to to help them. So I I don't know what else. I mean, talking about it, giving the other nine people a, a voice, saying there's this this is happening to nine other people. Support the and people ACLU. People may think and that nine is a very out. low number. Like, why are you stressing about nine young people? But Nine can turn to a hundred, and a hundred can turn to thousands. And before you know it, they're coming for you and I. Yeah. And so I think that should be the mindset that we look at these issues with. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, the, this is the the other story from last week that we're carrying over to this week about some crazy injustice in Baltimore. So, like I was saying, the investigation in Baltimore because of I think this, because of the Freddie Gray incident. Un, un, unrevealed, okay, hmm. I can't speak well, uh, uncovered this basic corruption by at least seven officers. Seven officers were indicted for federal racketeering crimes. One of the cops is facing charge for drug distribution. Some of them were just robbing people while in their uniforms. Um, some of them were in sort of elite task force, forces like the Gun Trace Task Force. One officer helped um, somebody, a friend who was being investigated, have uh, the tracker device on his car removed so that the DEA couldn't find the person anymore. So some crazy stuff going on, and this was only revealed because of the federal investigation into the city of Baltimore following the Freddie Gray incident. And now at least seven officers have been indicted. Maybe Sessions didn't see this article. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should fill him in. So, I mean, it, 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 it seems like these agreements, which the consent decrees is what they're called, mm-hmm. they work for something. They help clean something up. Is it not helpful to a police department to help? I mean, I can't imagine an entire department was behaving this way. Well, and, and I also can't imagine not, that nobody knew. Right, but because of the, you know, code blue silence thing nobody was going to rat out anybody else on the department so I would think that the officers who were of clean hands who were not involved with this would be excited that these guys if they really did commit these kinds of crimes have been found out and are being indicted and taken off the force and hopefully arrested and will serve time because then the people that are doing the right thing, officers who are following the law and are upstanding citizens and officers, are sort of being rewarded because they're not having to just be one of the corrupt people and to cover for these corrupt people because they know about it and have to turn a blind eye. I, I think I think this is one of the this is one of the cases in which it's easier for everyone to get behind it because everyone can agree that um, you know falsely billing for overtime when is, you're on it, vacation when you're on vacation yeah. is a wrong thing, particularly to the officer who's been working over, you know, graveyard shift hours, and meanwhile, 
partner X is out there at the casino getting paid for it. So, you know, people in blue can get behind the fact that this is not right, and then the citizens can get behind the fact that this is not right and that they need to be held to justice. Similarly with um, kind of robbing robbing individuals who never even com- committed a crime but just taking taking their money from them. Um, anyone, the community can, uh, can see that that's objectively wrong, and police officers can see it's objectively wrong. I think where you have more um, division amongst how people are viewing police is when you have these instances of, you know, police officer-involved shootings, and it's like, oh, but the, the victim didn't wasn't armed, but then at the same time, the officers are thinking, well, I have to make a snap decision. And so there's a tension between, you know, what they feel is right. In this case, it's so objectively ridiculous what these officers were doing, um, I mean, it's so crazy to me that this wasn't a bigger story in the news. I mean, did you guys hear about this before this story showed up on the rundown? I mean, I this is one of those stories that I had to go looking for. This isn't one of those that slapped me in the face. I would be really curious to know how many of our listeners slash viewers heard of this before we mentioned it. This should be massive news. And and this is not along racial lines. There were black and white officers that were indicted. So this is a police officer problem, department problem, not a um, pinning this on, you know, this is white officers are guilty and, and black civilians are innocent ones. I mean, it's just, it's a law enforcement issue, regardless of the race of the man or woman in the uniform, although I don't believe that there were any women who were indicted in this situation. But we see that these consent decrees do turn up something. And so that the public, at least, should be a fan of them or supportive of them and pressure Jeff Sessions. A lot of citizens didn't know about the dissent decrees from the beginning. So I think it's hard for them to be up in arms that they're now no longer going to be happening um, if they don't know. Well, at, hopefully we will be covering the, the trials of these officers, and so the public will know really what happened, what are the allegations, what is going to turn out to be true. I mean, some of these officers were uh, accused of turning off their body cams, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a, clearly a big issue these days. And so I think us talking about it will help bring the public into the fold of the fact that there were these consent decrees that this is what the kind of thing that can be revealed through these investigations, and that's why we should support them as a public and to pressure the attorney general to get behind them. I mean, because we know if this happens again, he's not going to do anything, I don't think. He's just going to say it is a matter for that city or that state I to handle. I don't think he'll speak on it. Right, because he's going to say it's it. If he does say anything, he's going to say it's a state issue or it's a local city issue. It, the federal government has no place to get involved in it. We just we support the police. Yes, it's a state issue when it's convenient. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Isn't that so? Okay, and I'm skipping around now because we already talked about Jeff Sessions. Ugh. All right. He, <laughs> this is interesting. Okay, a former inmate from Rikers is trying to get the prison shut down. Mm-hmm. He started this whole movement. And I guess I I thought, you know, Rikers is bad mostly because of what I heard from Law & Order. Like, that's yeah, my I, whole I know idea. Rikers from television and movies. But it apparently is not just that bad in movies and on television. It is that bad in real life. Yeah. And this, this one inmate, Glenn Martin, realized how bad it was because he was there and then at a state prison and saw that there were differences in the way that the inmates were treated there and said it's like the worst of the worst. He says, it quote, it feels like emerging of all the worst things this world has to offer and that human beings have to offer. 
Rikers is a present day Alcazar. Alcatraz. Ar- Alcatraz. Yeah, I he calls it for the mis- He he calls it Torture Island. Yeah. And 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 this is becoming more noticeable to the public with documentaries like the one that's being uh, released right now um, on oh gosh. Now I totally is it Spike TV the yeah, Khalif the one Browder that story Jay-Z produced. Oh, um, did he produce mm-hmm, that? Mm-hmm. I really I want to see this. Um, but yeah. I haven't been able to get track of the actual. So if any if any of our viewers or listeners know where a link is or how I could watch it, um, because so apparently it's not like not on a replay. So really, that's Has it too aired bad. already. Yeah, yes. it's already aired. But for those that aren't familiar with Khalif's story, so he was wrongly accused of committing a crime, like stealing a backpack. Uh, yeah, stealing a backpack and was sent to Rikers. And was there for about two I think to three years, years um, before he actually even um, had his case trial. was even heard. Yeah. He couldn't make um, bail. He couldn't make bail. They wouldn't actually allow him to make bail. Um, his family had raised the money mm-hmm. to bail him out, and they wouldn't let him. Um, he, he was finally yeah. um, released, and he killed not, himself shortly after because of the torture that he had faced. He had while spent he lots was, of time in com- um, solitary, solitary confinement, confinement and. Yeah. So if if this if if this is really what goes on at Rikers, could go on at other prisons. Should we start shutting them down? Is that it's not necessarily a matter of them being shut down because I've I've I have a few friends who um, who their whole line of work is to um, kind of do pro bono work for a lot of these inmates and their mistreatment at a lot of the federal prisons. And so um, it's definitely happening across the country. So I don't want us to think that it's an isolated issue in New York. Um, It's it's really happening in places that you wouldn't even imagine. Kansas, um, Washington. So, but Um, if if one is particularly bad, and I don't really know how to measure that, but let's just say that Glenn Martin is right. Like this place is the worst of the worst. Is the solution to shut it down? It's not a matter of shutting it down. I think it's a matter of it being a complete overhaul and needing to put in new systems in place. Like, who who's the watchdog over our federal prisons? Who's actually going I in and doing site? A, a who's state. doing who's doing site visits for state or federal yeah. prisons? Because either way, they're still getting federal funding. This is true, and so I mean, this has become a, a movement with you know, it's got his own hashtag, close Rikers, and Glenn Martin has the attention of the mayor Bill De Blasio, who at first kind of just was like, man, you know, kind of. Of course, until more media him. attention came. Right, and so now the mayor is saying we're looking into it, but this is a complex issue. It takes yada, time. Yada. The usual. But it's but the the. Uh, and this was an interesting t- statistic that I read uh, with the story that 79% of prisoners at Rikers are awaiting trial for their alleged crimes mm-hmm. and have not yet been convicted. So, yikes. They say it's because their system is extremely backed up. So it's not necessarily the jail's fault. It's the court systems. Okay. I mean, I, I, I disagree completely. It's yeah. still an issue either way, but that they're passing the buck. 
Very true. And well, even if, regar- regardless of whether they're awaiting trial, I mean, how you treat your prisoners shouldn't have bearing on whether no, they No, 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 I agree know. a thousand percent. But they're saying a lot of the issues have been led to overcrowding, and that's why some people get sent to solitaire because they actually need to send them there because they don't have space for them in general pop. There's no reason for them to be in solitary. They have done nothing to be in solitary, but are there because of spacing issues. So one of the things that, the, um, that Glenn's uh, organization is trying trying to do, which I think is brilliant, is to seek out the donors, the biggest donors of the mayor, and try and convince them of this cause to close down Rikers. All the money. I mean, that's that's pretty smart. That's genius. Here we are trying to convince the, our politicians to listen to us. Forget them. Just go straight to the donors. Straight to the money, and man. hope that the donors have a conscience. Oh, that's the question. Uh, I think it's a great it's a great idea because money talks. But have they seen scandal? <laughs> depending on what their frame of mind is with respect to you know prison issues, I, I don't know how effective it will be. But hopefully, or if some of his biggest donors are the owners of some of these private prisons. See, that's the problem. Then you're saying that is. Not helpful. Not helpful right. at all, but part of the problem. Because if I'm one of your biggest donors and I own said jail in your area, are you really going to be paying attention to how I treat these inmates? Are you even going to slap me on the wrist when we do get news stories like this? Right. Because which I is, just, I pretty much paid for your entire campaign. Yes. You know, which of course raises the issue, the biggest issue that I see in all of politics, which is the role of money in politics. Um, <laughs> more on that every Tuesday night after Buzz TV, the Trump report. Okay. All right. Let's move on to. Um, so many issues that need to be fixed in America. Let, oh, let's go back to Baltimore. Where do we start? We've got, <laughs> let's. Uh, We've got a, a, a video. I don't know how much um, this. Is, okay, well, let me just set up the video. So the video is of a young um, boy being arrested. We'll talk about the appropriateness of the action when we see the video. Hey yo, yo, hey yo, why you hitting him? Why you hitting him? Why you hitting my man? Hey yo, don't hit my man like that. Alonzo, tell. Yo, he got all the right to swing on him. So all of this is apparently the result of a of a fight at school or a, a park. This one was, was another one of the stories from last week, and I have forgotten to brush up on the fine details of this. It was but, at a, a high school. Okay, so officers Maryland. show up and attempt to arrest one of the kids. And that's the result. Well, reaction. <laughs> I don't know. It, it it drives it just it drives me crazy um, that so many. And I understand that there was maybe like a knife fighter. There was a you know a, a weapon involved um, during the fight, but during the arrest, we do not see a fight in that video. Oh, right, right. Um, well, no, sorry. And I was actually about to go off topic because I think. The intersection of like school discipline with law enforcement is actually really um, 
it aggravates me because uh, I don't even necessarily I feel like schools often push off the disciplinary aspect that they should be managing to law enforcement but this is a different question so I'll focus on what you were one battle at a time <laughs> I'll focus on what you were were saying but then again I think like this video just demonstrates you know officers they need to use a certain level of discretion. You're at a high school. You know that this is probably a, a high school or maybe a freshman. This person is, what, 13, 14 years old? Um, or sorry, maybe not discretion. Discernment is mm-hmm. probably the better the better word. Um, and this person is crying, screaming. I'm afraid, obviously, if an, if an officer is approaching me and trying to handcuff me at this young what age. What about the argument, and just to play devil's advocate, this kid was under arrest and he was resisting. So what's an officer to do? I don't think you was need two resisting? officers to clamp down on a, a 14-year-old or a 12-year-old and start punching them. You cannot tell me that those officers couldn't control that situation um, against a, a 12-year-old in a, in a better manner. I just don't believe it. Dumb. I, I, it's hard for me to read or comment on stories like this because I immediately envision my little brother or my nephews and I think it's a level of disgust that any able body adult would treat a child like that. So how 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 do you think that the officers should have never responded? once never once did I hear in a calm tone put your hands up, can you put your hands where I can see them? Can you put your hands behind your back? Immediately when that video starts there's an officer on this young man, and he's crying. You can hear him wailing, asking them, please, to stop. Okay, but please, they're not going to stop. Understand. I don't but understand. they're not going to stop. So they're you, going to arrest what do you him. Want, if, if I'm on top of you, what, what do you, how do you want me to treat you? Like, I don't, I don't know what, what this officer wanted this young man to do because... To his, put his, his hands young, in front or behind himself so he, he could be arrested. Well, that's the he thing. didn't tell no, him that. He's not, not really giving commands. And she's I, not saying anything. And what's worse is that I think her behavior is only serving to escalate the situation. I mean, he's sitting, he's sitting on a street, on the curb of his, the street. He's, he's not even in a manner that is aggressive to the officer. But he's resistant or defiant at the very least. So and that's then, when you. So and, and that, I don't think that that's an argument that he didn't all. want that, that he didn't want to get handcuffed. But the thing is, how you handle it matters. If I see a, a resistant person I, who doesn't want to that, get handcuffed, and, but I have I have options with me when I'm. It's and it's what she said. It's not that he was being aggressive and 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 punching and at doing no yes, point were at, those officers correct. In so but I can, they were trying to arrest him. I can modify my techniques when I knowing that this person is not being. So what are those to me. techniques? You're, first officers, off, you're officers can't, from from my understanding, officers carry zip ties. They carry um, as well as cuffs. If I know that I, at the end of the day, am a lot bigger this in, in this, than this individual, there are probably a number of things that I can do to apprehend this young man that don't resort to me actually physically beating this person. Now, when we look at the case of, of other situations, I'm sure... I'm sure that violence at that level isn't necessary. Now, I'm not an officer. I don't know what you're trained on. But my understanding is that unless an officer feels physical danger, he is not to resort to that type of violence on an individual, especially a child. So if someone can explain to me where in their policies behavior like that is okay, I'm okay with him not putting his hands wherever they needed to be. 
But that's that. I don't know how anyone can sit there and watch that and not understand that those officers were dead wrong. Right. I don't think resisting arrest gives you the right to punch people who are not threatening you. I where agree. somebody explain? I agree. Where is that? But, as of last even, week, there were no, there was no disciplinary action for the, either of the officers. Well, if there's no disciplinary action for an officer that shoots someone that has done nothing wrong, do we really think they're going to do something about this? Okay, so then, okay, so if the police department won't change, what do we tell kids when you're being arrested? You have to allow yourself to be arrested. Or my sister get has told my nephew. If he's ever in a situation where an officer is trying to arrest him to get down on the ground and put his hands behind his back. And in 2017, no mother or father or guardian should ever have to explain that to a child. Well, okay, but if anybody is getting arrested, whether they're a child or an adult, shouldn't they just comply and be arrested? I mean... If, if, to the extent that you want to avoid personal harm, it seems that you kind of have to do that. And I agree. Should you have to tell your nephew that uh, or but, your son that? No. But, but any in this of day us, and age, do you have to tell them be, that? Yeah. There, there could be, you know, a probable cause. You know, an officer believes that we committed a crime and we can be arrested. Yeah. That's and I think what we right. sign ourselves up I, for in this society. So, so at what point... Does I didn't sign up law? to be arrested like that. So right, and exactly but, that's that's the distinction. So, but you, might, you, you might you might resist arrest and realize that there's going to be an extra charge coming to you for resisting arrest. That has nothing to do with whether you should therefore be um, open to being punched and hit and choked. That that those are two completely separate things. There are policies and laws in place that account and charges in place that account for your resistance of arrest and I mean, it should involve uh, being uh, really ass- assaulted like that. But if, I mean certainly I thought of like you know you if somebody is not compliant that you maybe use a taser but then a taser is I, honestly, dangerous honestly, also on children. I would have been more okay with them using a, t- a taser on a young child than them physically punching but that I, child. Tasers scare face. me because tasers scare me too. But they're going to subdue the the. But the sometimes person. people sometimes people die after being tased. I, I mean, okay. we didn't see that. We didn't. But did we, we not? Do we not remember the case where an officers jumped on a man and choked him to death? Right. Like two big individuals are on that little boy. We didn't see the beginning of the tape, but I think the first thing that you said is, first off, there was no communication. And I think that's a big thing that this person, that these officers could have used. Speak to speak to the individual who you're arresting. The, the partner could have called a teacher who the child is familiar with and yeah. then have that teacher kind of I help. I think the to, other thing uh, that makes it worse is the fact the that situation. it sounds like there was a line, a group of kids right there. And that makes the situation a little more stressful and so that this the first protocol should be to clear out the audience and then to deal with the child more calmly right he wasn't running he he was going to sit where he was they could have cleared the area if that was what the issue was and he was still going to be there it wasn't like this officer was there by themselves and couldn't handle the crowd and the young boy at the same time all right well that is going to have to be our last story and we're going to have to bring you the billion dollar battle over pink slime (laughs) next week so come back for another episode of justice is served in the meantime feel free to like comment subscribe reach out to me at chelsea galicia and you guys can reach out to me at dominique p underscore esq And you can reach me at ayemyems on Twitter and Instagram. See you all next week. Thanks for joining us. Bye. 
from executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us. Info at BlackHollywoodLive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio. Instagram me at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood, Hollywood redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.